1: 225 274 1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. all
0: today, Master, Savior. I have come to seek you. Dear Heavenly Father, touch our hearts. God, touch our minds. Just help us, God, we pray, to receive your word tonight, that it would change us, that it would transform us, that it would renew us, God, and that it would never leave us the same. We thank you, we praise you in the house. In Jesus' name. And everyone set, Amen. I hope you've got your notebooks here. I hope you've got a pen, a journal, something to take down notes in church because we need to be taking notes in church. I know some people use their phones and some people use their iPads, which is great if that's what you want to do. But put it on airplane mode so no one's going to text you in the middle of the service and you get distracted in any ways. And, and we just believe that we've got something to share and it's something that you need to hear. On Sunday, we began our series, Are You a Fan or Are You a Follower? Talking about how so often we think we're a follower, but really the best description of us, perhaps, unfortunately, is the fact that we are a fan. And we asked that question really Sunday. Was The whole message was geared towards really identifying with the fact, are you a fan? Are you someone who comes and cheers on? Are you coming to the stadium on Sunday and Wednesday night and cheering on Jesus? Or are you a follower? Meaning that when you leave church on Sunday and Wednesdays throughout the week, you're living a committed, dedicated life to God. Notice I didn't say perfect. Nudge your neighbor and say he's talking about you because you ain't perfect. Come on now. Come on, nudge your neighbor. You just want Guys, you wanted to say that to your wife for a long time. Just nudge her and look at her and say, you're not perfect. None of us are perfect, but God's working with us and God's dealing with us. But you know what God wants for us to do? He wants us to be committed to change. He wants us to be committed to the fact that He wants to change our lives and we've got to be connected to that. We've got to be involved at that. So we looked at lunch dates. We looked at if we were to sit down with Jesus and have a lunch date with Jesus, sit across the table from Him, we were to ask Him this question, God, how do you see our relationship? Are we exclusive? I mean, God, how do you really see our relationship? And we saw from different ones, we saw three lunch dates on Sunday. We saw that there was a defining moment in each one of those dates, in each one of those times that revealed whether that person was indeed a fan Or whether they were followers of Jesus. There was encounters. And I pray that we'll have encounters like that. That will take us closer to God. And make us examine our lives and realize and say, you know what? Maybe things need to change in my life. Maybe I'm not everything that I think I am. You know, because the word Christian is more than a title we need to just wear. It's a lifestyle that we have to live. Fans wear a label. Followers live a life. And that's what God wants and that's what we're believing with. So turn with me tonight to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14 to start with of Matthew chapter 7. And the Bible says this, Enter by the narrow gate. Say with me, narrow gate. gate. We're talking tonight, the title is, what road are you on? What road are you on is the title of our message tonight. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate... And broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are just one or two who go in by that road. Are you following me? What did I? What? 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 What happened? The Bible doesn't say one or two, but it says what. Many. Come on, help me out. It's not trick questions. Follow along. The Bible says, so Megan, did you follow along? Are you reading? Because I'll take that book back if you're not playing with you. I'm playing with you. But enter by the gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are how many? There are many who go in by it. Verse 14. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few. There are only few who find it. So we see here two different roads. Two different roads. We have got the what? The broad one, which has a high volume of traffic on it. The Bible says there are many who goes on that one. But then there's the narrow one where there's few cars. There's not much traffic. There's not much congestion because there's only what? A few people on it. But one thing we have to realize about these two roads is they go in two totally different directions. One goes to a lost eternity, the broad, but the narrow goes to life. It goes to heaven. It goes to living a life of abundance. But what do we see from this passage of Scripture? We see that Jesus identifies the fact that there are many people, many people who are on the wrong road. And I'm going to take it one step further. Of many churchgoers who come to church, who are on the wrong road. And there are only few, the Bible says, that make it on the right road. That are on the narrow pathway. And if that is true, you see we can dispute so many things. And, And we can dispute what other people say. But I want to tell you today, dispute it all you want, but it's written in red. You know what that means? Jesus said that. Jesus spoke truth. Anytime he opened his mouth, he spoke truth. So when he says there are many who are lost or going to be lost, he's speaking truth. There are only going to be few who are going to be found. He's speaking truth. And I'm sure if that's the case, think about this. If Jesus himself said there are many who can go on the wrong path and few that can find the right path, don't you think it's maybe a good opportunity for us this month just to slow down a little bit? Just to put on the brakes to evaluate our life and say, listen, I, I, I don't want to be speeding off course. I don't want to be. Has anyone ever gone on the wrong road and thought you were on the right road? And you can take, you know what? No, your intentions can be right. And you can say, well, I thought I was on. But if you're on the wrong road, guess what? You're going to go in the wrong direction. And no matter how much your intentions are and how much you thought I was doing the right thing, you know what, when it comes down to it, you're either on the right pathway or you're not. And that's why throughout this series, throughout this month, throughout every message that we preach in this house, we're showing people the right pathway that God has for your life. The right direction that God wants to take your life in. Matthew 7 is actually the conclusion of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus stood on a mountain and he gave a message to them. It begins in Matthew 5. It continues through Matthew 6. It concludes in Matthew 7. And it's interesting if you were to read all of those chapters, and that's your homework for the week. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But you would notice that Jesus really is talking to the followers, those that have come to hear Him. He's talking to them about raising the bar of commitment in their life. He's saying, listen, we need to raise the bar of commitment. We need to live what we say we do. And and then he goes into talking about the past. Because I'm sure a lot of people that day thought, man, I'm with you, Jesus. High five. Yeah, I'm feeling you. And then Jesus says, hold on a second. Many of you are not getting what I'm saying. But few will. And Jesus was trying to stress that point to them. And he's saying it for this reason. Because we can be on the wrong pathway. And then he slams it down. Listen to this. Let me give you a statement first. Donald Whitney said, if a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it really doesn't matter what he or she is right about. Let me say that one more time. If a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it really doesn't matter whether she is right or what he or she is right About, If we don't get it right with God, it doesn't matter what else we're right about. Because it starts with relationship with God. And if Jesus didn't get the point across to him in verse 13 and 14, then he went on and told them in verse 21 through 23. We talked about this on Sunday morning. We mentioned to it, but he says, Hey, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, verse 22, in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And verse 23, then I will declare to them, God speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I want to talk about these three verses tonight and ask three questions from each one or from these verses tonight. Because I want to look at this. Because I want to look at, Jesus doesn't say, one day a few will stand before me and say. But verse 22, he says, many will stand before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that? But yet, what's the reply? I did not Know you. Many people, on the day when they think all is good and they stand before God, are going to find out that heaven's not their destination. God help us. God help us. And as I say, we're going to look at three questions. And as a pastor, I want to tell you right now it's my responsibility to present to you the truth. But then it's your responsibility to respond to it. I wish I could force everyone. To live for God. I wished I could shake it into people. I wished I could preach it into people. I wished I could, but I can't. I can just present the way, but every one of us have got to make the decisions. We've got to choose the right pathway and to take the right pathway. And every one of us are able to do that. And we can. So here's question number one. Are you ready? Question number one. Trying to decipher, really, what road am I on? Question number one. Does my life... Reflect what I say and believe. Does my life reflect what you say you believe? One more time. Does your life reflect what you say you believe? In other words, does your actions or do your actions line up with your words? Are you talking and walking or are you just talking a whole lot? Anyone know any talk-a-lotters? talking a whole lot of stuff, but there's no action, there's nothing. They're saying it, but their belief or what they believe and say does not reflect in the life that they live. What did we read in verse 21? What did we say? Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but what? But he who who does. That he who does... So Jesus here is given a distinction, I believe, between those who are a fan and those who are a follower. You ready? Here it is. A fan says it. A follower does it. Come on now. A fan says it. A lot of people saying a lot of things. A lot of people shouting, yeah, go team Jesus. A lot of people saying a lot of things. But a follower doesn't say it. They do it. They do it. Hopefully they say it and do it, or hopefully they do it and then say it. They let their actions speak louder than their words. You know, a a youth guy who used to come and preach for us years ago, he had a great t-shirt, it was bright orange, and on the middle of it it had a light bulb. And in the middle of the light bulb where the element was, there was a little cross, and the caption on the bottom of it said these words, "Have, Have you ever heard a light bulb talk? Have you ever heard a light bulb talk? A light bulb doesn't talk. What does it do? It shines. Everyone knows what it is because what? It fulfills its purpose. It shines. A lot of Christians out there doing a lot of talking. For what reason? Because they're trying to identify themselves to other people of what they are. Come on, we need to do some more shining and no more whining. Come on now. We need to let our testimony be. An orange tree doesn't have to have a sign that says, I'm an orange tree. You know it's an orange tree. Why? By the fruit that it bears on it. We've got to bear the fruit. We've got to be a doer, the Bible says of the word. Not only what that which we say, but we've got to do. You know, too many of us today have become increasingly comfortable with separating what we say we believe with how we live. And as a result, we've convinced ourselves that our beliefs are sincere, even if they don't impact how we live. And that's not good. I'm going to say that again. It's not good. Let me give you an example to show you this. If I was to take a poll in here tonight with every one of you and every one of you were to be honest tonight to the question. Here's the question. You were to be honest to answer this question. I wonder what you would say. Yes or no answer. Do you believe it's important to eat right and exercise? Everyone in here hopefully should say the right answer. And you know what that is? Yes. Of course it's important for me to eat right. And for exercise. And as I began to write that down, I, I wrote these words. So what's my excuse? What's your excuse tonight? Come on, what's your excuse for bad dietary habits? Come on, what's your excuse for lack of exercise? What's your excuse for abusing the body, the temple that God has given you? Every one of us say we believe that we should what? Exercise and we should eat right. We say that because we believe that, but we don't do that. Do you notice that's how we can so often be as Christians? What about this? Let me give you another one. I can say, and I'm going to ask you this question. In marriage, do you think it's important as a husband or a wife to honor and totally value your spouse over everything else except for God? Of course, yes. I mean, if we want a happy marriage, then of course my vow is to love and to cherish till death do us part. To value you over anything else. So of course the answer is yes. But yet today we live in a society where we almost have more divorces now than marriages going on. So what we believe that's what should happen. Oh yeah, 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 I believe I should honor and value above everything else. We say that, but what does our life reflect? How often, again, are we like that with Christ? Oh, yes, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe he's real. I'm I'm going to tell everyone. But does our life reflect what you say you believe? And come on, I'll be honest with you today. I know Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. If you don't know it, I'm going to share it with you today. I know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What does it say? For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're saved through God's grace. And when we place our belief and trust in Jesus, that's what saves us. Are you with me? But I want to show you something, and that is this. Biblical belief is more than just something we confess with our mouths. Biblical belief is something more than what we confess with our mouths. It's something we need to also confess with our lives. A lot of people turn around and say, well, I'm just saved because I've asked God into my life and I'm just going to live however I want because I'm saved. Let me tell you something. Biblical belief is not just a confession with your mouth. It's a confession with the way you live. If there's no change in the way you live and in the way you talk, let me tell you, you need to hit your knees again and really get saved this time. Come on, I'm saying some stuff that may upset some people. Remember Sunday, we said we're not here to make friends, we're here to make followers. Why? Because things like this need to be said. If we're coming to God and we're giving Him our life and we're walking away with no change, let me tell you something, you haven't had a life-changing encounter with God. You haven't. Why? Because God will change you. God will change you. But you see, a fan can say, Lord, Lord. But does he live? Lord, Lord. Turn to James 2, verse 14 and 16 and read it with me. Are you okay tonight? If you're not okay, we're going to pray for you at the end and you're going to be okay. So everyone's going to be okay by the end. Trust me with that. James 2, 14 through 16. I think Pete read this out tonight. It says this, What does it profit or what good is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, got to understand this what he's talking about is this is someone who says he lives for Christ this is someone who says he's on the narrow path this is someone who says he's a follower he's committed to the cause he's not wishy-washy in or out this is someone who prof- confesses professes that he is a child of God what does the bible say if someone says he has faith but does not have works how can or can faith save him. The real thought is this, not that faith can't save you, but the real thought is this, can such faith, can faith like that, that you confess it and you say it, but you're not living it, you're not showing it, you're not depicting it. It says, can such faith faith like that save him? Is he really saved? if he isn't living like that. Verse 15, as Pete read earlier, if your brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? What does it profit? Let me sum up those what three verses in three words. Are you ready? Three words to sum up that. More than words. More than words. Your salvation experience needs to be more than just words. Come on, it needs to be a reflection of the way you live. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, because faith by itself, if it does not have what? If it does not have works, it's dead. It, it's, it's kicked the bucket. It's six foot under. It's not living. It's not breathing. Nothing's happening. Come on. If faith does not have works... So if my relationship with God is not reflected in the way I live, let me tell you something, I'm on the wrong road. Come on, i am just being honest with you tonight. I'm on the wrong pathway because I'm saying stuff and I'm believing stuff, but I'm not doing what God has called me to do. And you've got to realize this. Now, I want to remind you this. We said, by grace you saved, you can't earn your salvation. It's not your works that produces your salvation. But as a result of your encounter with God, as a result of giving your life to Christ, guess what will flow? A life of obedience. Living for God will be the product that will come out of your life. That will come out of your life. Every one of us needs to see that. You see, fans say a lot. Fans are the ones who cheer the loudest. We talked about it Sunday. They're the ones that have no shirts on, paint their chests, and they go and they're cheering, and hopefully it's just the men. Amen? Um, But they just go and they cheer, and they're the ones that shout the loudest. But beneath all the noise and the action, what really is there? What really is there? Because to follow Jesus requires more than just feelings. Following Jesus requires movement. 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 And too many people can... Fuse their feelings with faith. Feelings and faith are two different things. Come on, faith is an action word. Well, I can have a feeling. I can watch hungry kids on the TV or I can watch all those puppies that need home and want to run to the pound and buy all these dogs. But you know what? I can get over that feeling. I can just turn the TV off and go into the other room and by the time I hit the refrigerator, I've already forgotten about those puppies. Why? Because that was just a feeling. But faith involves a movement, an action. Come on, faith is an action word. Faith wants to be alive in your life, not just to save you, but that you will live saved and you will be an example to everyone else. Amen? Amen? Question number two. Do you think you are on the right road because of what you've done? I'm even going to say it this way, or because of what you're doing. Do you think you're on the right road because of your performance, what you've done, past tense, what you're doing right now, because of the performance of your life? Well, let's go back to the scripture, Matthew seven twenty two. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have done this and Lord, we have done that. What have they done? We've prophesied, we've cast out de- demons, we've done wonders, we've performed miracles in your name. Notice the performance, we've done this. This is their answer to the question, what have you done? Well, I've done this and I've done that. I wonder when we first asked the question on Sunday or if you just heard it tonight. I wonder how many of you said, I'm a follower of God and this is the thoughts that you thought in your mind. I'm a follower of God because I go to church. I'm a follower of God because I put some money in the offering bucket. I'm a follower of God because I'm signed up to be a volunteer. I went through the iConnect course. I'm in the Genesis project. It's quite interesting when you think about it with the examples that Jesus gives right here. Think about the examples that he gives here. Most people are not, most everyday Christians are not prophesying, casting out demons and doing mighty works in their lives. Most of us are living just average lives, you know. We, if we were to stand up before God, we would say, I maybe helped my neighbor across the street. You know, I gave someone $5 for meal. But if you would notice the list that Jesus gives here, they're pretty impressive stuff. How many would say that's pretty impressive, that someone's prophesying, casting out devils? And now, as, as children of God, we have the power to do that because it's not the power of us, but the power of God that works inside of us. We understand that. But that's pretty impressive stuff there. And I really believe that Jesus put impressive stuff right there for this reason, to show us no matter how impressive and how great the things that we think we're doing are, come on, that no matter what we have accomplished for the kingdom, that's never what's going to make us a true follower of him. Because some of us, if he had just put there, hey, I helped my neighbor. Some of you say, I've done more than that. But there's very few of us that could say, hey, I've done all that, check, 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 and I'm living that. He, he went almost for the top stuff. Not that the other stuff's not important, don't get me wrong. But this is kind of impressive stuff. Just to show us that no matter the performance and the acts and the doings, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. So here's the, really the defining question tonight. Here's where question one and question two really comes in and finds its answer. Are you ready? Question number three. Do I know Jesus and does he really know me? Do I know Jesus and does he really know me? What did we read in Matthew 7, 23? Many said, I know Jesus. But what did Jesus say to the many? I never knew you. Wow. I never knew you. You. Here's the ultimate dividing line that Jesus identifies right here. What Jesus is saying is this it's not what you say or do, but it all boils down to your personal relationship with me. It all boils down to your personal relationship. Or we want to put the emphasis on the other stuff, what we say and do. Why? Because that impresses other people. Come on now. I mean, people can see us doing good things. People can see us back in the Bible days when they had a lot of money to put in the offering. They didn't secretly do it. When you read the story of Jesus, when he saw the little widow put in, the thought is this, that they would dance and make a spectacle of putting their money in. So everyone would go, wow. Look how much there. And then this poor widow just slips in the back because she has nothing in their eyes to give. But yet Jesus, out of all, saw what? The one who gave so little. But she gave all. You see, we, we like what we say. We like what we do because that can be measured. That can be seen. Wow, we can write down all those things. People can pat us on the back. But you've got to be reminded today that God doesn't see as we see. God doesn't see as we see. What did he tell Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7? He says, don't look at his appearance. Talking of Eliab, the chosen one that he thought was going to be the one. Don't look at his physical stature. Because I have refused him. I have rejected him. God says, for I don't see as man sees. For man looks at what? The outwards. But God says, I begin from the inward. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the heart. Those things to us that are tangible... Something we can measure is the things that we go and base our relationship on. Well, I'm living for God and I've done this and I've done that. So that makes me a follower. We like the tangible stuff that we can grab a hold on. We like to see the offering statement at the end of the year. Wow, look how much I gave. I gave more than was even required of me. But you know what? Jesus draws a dividing line. And this is what he identifies. His true followers are based upon an intimate relationship. It's not about what you say and do. It's about really knowing God. Really knowing God. And when we really know God, can I tell you something? What we say and do will overflow out of the relationship that we have with him. It will be a product of the life. You don't have to work it. You don't have to work it up or try to impress or try to do. When you live for God, what does the Bible say? They'll see your good works and what happens? They will glorify me in heaven. And that's what it's about. If I'm doing it for me, guess who gets the glory? Me. When I'm doing it with the wrong motive, guess who gets the glory? Me. But when I'm doing it with the right motive, guess who gets the glory? He does. He does. And he's the only one that can save people. He's the only one that can touch people. If people are seeing me, guess what? I'm standing in the way of him. My job as a Christian is not to stand in the way of people and God. My job is to step out of the way and show them the way. Come on, to lead them in the way so they can follow my life and the example of my life and what I'm, what I'm doing. It's like a husband and a wife. I read this example in the book, Not a Fan. Husband and wife went in for a counseling session. They were having problems. They were talking about the possibility of divorce in their marriage. And the wife says these words. He is so absent in the home. And he is totally emotionally unavailable. The husband kind of defends himself and he kind of gets mad by that statement. And he tells the counselor, hold on a second. He says, "I, I, I work hard. Let me tell you something. I work extra hours. I pay all the bills and I meet all the needs of the home. I just bought my wife a new SUV. She didn't even ask for it, but I went out and bought that for her. I help around the house. I probably do more around the house than everyone else. I take us on great vacations. We just went to Florida. I did this and I did that. I even coach our son's soccer team because you wanted me to do it. I've never cheated on you. I've never lied. I've never given you any reason not to trust me. What more do you want me to do for you? And the wife, with her head bowed down, says these words. I just don't feel like I even know you. Isn't that how our relationship can be so often with God? That God, if we were to listen on that lunch date and he would maybe say, you know what, I'm kind of feeling that you're absent a little bit. I just feel that you're emotionally unavailable. I just feel that there's no connection. And what would we say? But God, I do this. God, I do that. I read my Bible every day. I pray. What more do you want me to do? I wonder if Jesus feels the same way as that wife. About you tonight. Does Jesus really know me? That's a question I really want you to. Really ask yourself. Not know of me. Of course he knows me. He created me. But does he know me in the sense of. A relationship. Does he know me? Because a day is coming. Where many. Have said the right things. Many have done the right things yet many are going to hear i never knew you i never knew you and please understand as i close tonight my intention throughout this whole series is not to try and make you paranoid (gasps) am i saved am i not oh what's going on listen because i'm trying to confirm something inside of your heart because you know what if you're a follower you know it if you're a fan you know that too Come on, you really do know the pathway that you're on in your life. You can convince yourself otherwise and you can tell yourself. But really when it comes down to it, you really do know where you are. And if you don't know, spend time with God and ask God. Have a lunch date with God. And God will show you where you are and what needs to change. So I'm not trying to make you paranoid, but here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make every one of us know for sure that we have a relationship with God. That we can know for sure. Why? Because I don't read in here that Jesus wants enthusiastic admirers. I read in here that Jesus wants committed followers. Those who will live for Him. Can we pray tonight?